They called us monsters, so monsters we became. We are monsters out of the closet. Hello, listeners, uh, and welcome to our bonus episode for episode 7, Haunt. I am Shreya, and I am here with our repeat writer and contributor, Thara Rangan, who was one of the creators of Lossless, and she's here to talk about haunt and gayness with us. Hi, Thara. Hi! It's nice to be on this show with you. Great. Thara is also my cousin, so if we're extra giggly in this bonus commentary, it is just pure love. Okay, so I wanted to start by talking about this idea of haunting and being haunted, right? And Nicole and I talk about this a little bit in our commentary on this episode, which you lucky Patreon subscribers can listen to. But we talk a little bit about how haunting can be either someone grabbing onto the past and refusing to let it go, or the past grabbing onto you and refusing to let you go, uh, which is the source of many wonderful movies, I'm sure. Um, I can't even name them all. But uh, Tara's piece, Thar and Venus's piece is kind of an example of the other kind of haunting where you are acting as an anchor for some sort of spirit uh, with or against their will. Um, and Thar, I kind of wanted to get your perspective on how you were like working off of or around our theme of haunt for Lossless. So I think to start off with, as of now, I have watched maybe five horror movies, if you count the kind of stuff that doesn't count as horror movies, like stuff that's satires. So for the most part, like everything I know about ghost stories comes from reading about it. And I mean, it never really speaks to me that much if it's just like, oh, you're in a house and ooh, there's a thing there. Because I mean... I live in a large house that creaks a lot, and if that genuinely got to me, I would <laughs> not be okay <laughs> sleeping at night. <laughs> um, so for me, like, I don't know, ghosts have always been more interesting when they're deeply personal instead of just something that sort of pops up. And yeah, in this particular case, part of my inspiration for this actually came from, if any of y'all listen to Within the Wires, which is done by the same people who do Welcome to Night Vale, the whole second season, without many spoilers, uh, basically goes through a number of museum audio guides, and you kind of get to know more about a person's relationship with another person through that medium. So that's kind of where I started, and then I really liked the idea of a person in the present intruding on their thoughts in the past, and that, after talking with Venus, is kind of how we grew from there. Nice. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of different layers uh, in this piece, you know, not just from an audio aspect, but from an emotional aspect, right? Where Because you have, you know, of course, like the f- like so many different frames happening around the action and within the action uh but also you know like the emotional development that like Rivka goes through and the emotional journey that she's kind of forced through uh by our our ghostly girlfriend presence in this piece um and I think it's it's cool to think about how um like this piece then interfaces with like tropes around 
same gender couples and people trying to love each other and also horrible directors trying to kill them off. Yep. <laughs> so, because like, we have the barrier gaze trope, and I'm wondering like how you feel about that. Whether you were thinking about that when making one of our one of our girlfriends dead in this particular piece. I mean, I remember when I wrote it, I actually like wrote to a number of my friends, going like, "Is this?" bury your gaze because I did she is already dead does that count if I didn't kill her on screen and she's back like does it I especially felt weird because I gave this story kind of an ambiguous ending and I felt while writing it I was like how can I make this just a completely happy ending and it's like I couldn't really and that made me question it even more but yeah, it was it was definitely something I was super worried about. I feel like I did not kill her off for shock value. I did bring her back for shock value. <laughs> <laughs> so I feel like, you know, necromance your gaze. Sure, sure. <laughs> hey, there's, you know, romance is, is a big proportion of the word necromance, all right? And we're all for that here at Monsters Out of the Closet, TM. And I guess, I guess going into tropes though, like one thing that I only noticed after I'd finished it is I'd somehow made a very angry real life person recording something and a very calm and mostly steady ghost, which I kind of liked because usually it's the other way around. This is true. Um, and especially because Nicole and I like love to talk about Del Toro and the way that ghosts and phantoms and monsters are represented in his movies, that you tend to have, like, you know, this sort of, like, vengeful monster who you still like more than a lot of the humans, especially the dudes, because they're, like, they're pals. They're here for you. They're here to protect you from your, like, murdering husband and his weird sister, or, like, you know, here to, to romance you away from your life of drudgery and, you know, a salty sort of bosses, like... The monsters are your friends, and they're here to, like, be your pals as you face human monsters. But, like, yeah, I definitely get that idea of, like, vengeful ghost versus, like, more more calm and possibly even victimized present, and you flipping that on its head. That's fun. I like that. I, I enjoyed that about this piece. Thank you. I was, I was proud of that when I noticed it in retrospect. <laughs> um... So, yeah, writing is accidental sometimes, and that's great. <laughs> that is great. But speaking of sort of, like, accidental or not as planned writing, how did you stumble into horror writing? Because, like, knowing you before this podcast became a thing, you were mostly, like, a... You were still a genre writer, but, like, a fantasy-slash-sci-fi genre writer and not necessarily a horror genre writer. And so how did you... Like, how are you still exploring that genre as a content creator? Yeah, I mean, I absolutely, like, Terry Pratchett is my inspiration. So I, for a very long time, basically wrote satirical fantasy with mixed results. Honestly, the reason I even got into horror writing was just because you put forward this concept as a podcast. I thought it was an interesting idea, but also, like, I have a lot of trouble with forcing myself outside of my comfort zone because when I'm good at something, I don't like to confront the fact that I might not be good at it in certain situations. Same. <laughs> so 
I felt like this was a good, safe place for me to explore that, where it's like, I can write horror, and the audience is basically my cousin and her friends, and so worse comes to worse, they'll be like, this isn't horror, and I'll be like, all right, got it. <laughs> Again, to give context, I am a Frady cat of the highest caliber. I cannot watch horror movies. I, again, have watched maybe five. And I made Liesl, one of our other writers, play Luigi's Mansion for me because I got too startled whenever ghosts showed up. So (laughs) I, I love reading horror. Don't get me wrong. I just I can't do visual horror very well. So... A lot of what I've been doing is, A, reading horror, and B, listening to, for example, Fear Baiting, which is an LGBT horror podcast specifically centered around watching movies. And, like, that's helpful to me because I like being able to hear from someone who's better versed in it to be like, oh, and this trope worked for me and this one didn't, and here's why. And I would be lying if I said I don't have, like, a little notepad on my phone now that's just full of, like, okay, and this works, and this doesn't, and invent something new in the horror genre, question mark? As far as I can tell, there are five horror stories, and people just find variants on them. Sounds about right. Although, we do have that delicious reclaim episode coming up in the summer for, you know, you and others of your ilk to remake uh, various stories in the horror genre. And I am so looking forward to that episode. I have a couple of stories that I'm currently boiling through to see what I can get as a supernatant, so we'll see. That's going to be delicious. <laughs> um, another thing I wanted to talk about was sort of the layers of haunting in your piece, not just from a narrative and an artistic perspective um, or literary perspective, but also from you know a horror genre perspective, uh, because you have these various different characters kind of revolving around each other. You have like Shivali haunting her old audio tapes, haunting Rivka, but you also kind of have this like background phantasmal presence of Kavya, Shivali's mother, you know, not as part backdrop and part set piece and also clearly something very much on Shivali's mind as she makes those original audio tapes. And so I'm I'm wondering you know, how you factored in Kavya and Shivali's relationship, even though it's very much in the background in the final version of the piece. Yeah, let me clarify, this is not autobiographical in any sense of the word. I have not a super awful relationship with my parents. Yay! Um, I will say, though, that this was definitely scraped off the surface of virtually every brown girl I know in terms of having parents who are maybe really too invested in your personal life and sort of feel an ownership over it that they absolutely have no right to. That was certainly something that resonated with me a lot, you know, as a South Asian gay girl, um, of this, you know, not only sort of sense of unease or, or fear or insecurity around, like, well, what are my parents going to pry apart now? But that also, like, I, I resonated a lot with that sense of violation of, Kavya taking Shivali's diary and just putting it into her novel, I was like, I was so mad (laughs) 
when I first read that detail. I get a little too far into my pieces, so the thing is, I was very mad while I was writing it as well. <laughs> Even though it was a fictional character that I'd made up, I was like, how could you do this, Gavia? I wrote you to do this, but how could you do this? <laughs> <laughs> and I also, I mean... Once again, this maybe doesn't come through as much in the foreground in the final piece, but I really wanted to convey the sort of complex relationship that brown girls kind of continue to have with their parents even after that occurs, because there is that sense of mandatory family in our community, which means that, you know, the people who have hurt you a lot can continue to draw you back in just because where else do you have? Right. Yeah. Right. Especially also as, you know, immigrant community, there tends to be the sense of, well, if you give up your family, then how else are you going to connect to your culture? Yeah. Um, and that's that's an interesting thing to play with, especially as set against, you know, how to integrate into uh, your gay girl culture out here. Um, you know, do you choose one over the other? Do you somehow balance the two? Can will Shall the twain ever meet? Who knows? Yeah. So definitely something that, you know, both you and I um, navigate on a day-to-day basis. For sure. Um, and I I love how that, that was something that was at least touched upon in this piece in amongst all the, all the various other themes that are wrapped in and around this piece. Yeah. And, I mean, to go a little further than your commentary on how, like, haunt factors into this particular story. I also felt like Rivka was in a very physical sense haunting this museum because she's just this specter that shows up very announced once a week. And you kind of got the sense that Miriam was trying to get her to leave through any means possible. Poor Miriam. She was like, please, God, go away. You're scaring off the normal people. Well, yeah, there's there's this woman who comes in every single week for her entire life for the past 15 years, and it's like, yeah, it's a little unsettling. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> Poor Rivka, though. I mean, like, yeah. I don't know how you imagined Rivka, but I'm like, does she not have anyone else in her entire life? Is she just going to be sad forever? I definitely imagined Rivka as someone who is a very anxious person and for whom it was easier to just kind of go back to a familiar place over and over and over again. Oh, Rivka. Mm-hmm. My heart. My heart, too. Also, like, props to all of the voice actors who were not me in that particular piece, because... It definitely brought through nuances that I hadn't really planned for when I wrote the script, so... Yeah, God, I love this audio play. I mean, I loved our first audio play, too. Me too. And I loved our original one, but this one was... Yeah, it was it was very involved. Like, months of production. God, I submitted this back in December? Something like that, yeah, just before New Year's. Yeah, Yeah, and then I went back and revised it after getting some well-earned, harsh critique from some of my friends. And I I mean, I I welcome it. I really feel like the end product was a lot better than it was on my first go-around. I think, yeah, I think it was easier. There were more clear emotional touch points Mm -hmm. in the second version. And the first one, gosh, didn't the first one, did it continue on longer? I mean, I seem to remember that one of the main problems with the first one was I 
had Shivali, I had a much more neutral toned museum cassette and I had Shivali switching very rapidly between I love you Rivka and I hate you Kavya. And it just, it seemed very difficult to jump between those two emotions. And also, as another one of our writers, Victoria Black, said, why in the name of God are they using cassette tapes in the year of our Lord 2015? Hey, budget cuts are rough. (laughs) I don't know what kind, where the funding pot is for the Kavya Kulkarni Museum, (laughs) but, like, come on. Yeah, I, I... I think that actually made it more tragic, though, because a woman who's been showing up for three years, like, that's a normal grieving period. A woman who's been showing up for 15 years, that is officially when she qualifies as an uninvited guest. Probably. You should, you might just want to rent one of the rooms to her <laughs> at that point. Like, that might, that might actually sustain the museum better. <laughs> <laughs> One more thing that I want to talk about is Tara is also the voice actor of Shivali in the final produced version of Lostless. And Shivali, like, begging Rivka to let her sort of die, let her pass on in peace, let her stop suffering from a fatal illness uh, with, like, tears in her voice, made me almost cry. Uh, so congratulations on that, and fuck you. Thank you so much, and I appreciate the fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, full disclosure, I did about four takes, both for one for um, the audio guide and about four takes additionally for the interjections, and every time I did that section, I cried. Oh, no. I did not expect to. <laughs> But again, when I'm writing, I kind of get inside the head of that character a lot, and I was really trying to figure out how that person would feel, and I started sobbing, and I was like, you know what? That sounds good. Let's keep it in. Let us turn the pain into art. (laughs) Also, it's one of those, I had to feel this, so now you guys have to feel this. We certainly did, (laughs) Tara. Um... Yeah, it was also, like, again, at every point of that, I was channeling some real emotions that I felt at some point. Like, I have felt angry at my privacy being violated before, so I was channeling that for the audio tape. And I have been very desperately in love, and I still am, so I was channeling that for the interjections. It touched the old heartstring. The few of them that I have left. (laughs) Like the frayed strings of a violin. Uh, which is coincidental, because, of course, the music of Eric Zahn violin was was the other piece on this episode. That was gorgeous. I was listening to it while I was packing up my apartment, and when it got spooky, I jumped about a foot in the air. I am always astounded when, like, actually successful people with really well-produced music send us their work, and I'm like, there's an orchestra in my podcast. My child is growing up so fast. It's it's amazing. Um, and I think it was also a really interesting uh, foil, almost, to Lossless, which Nicole and I also talk about in our commentary. So nudge, nudge, wink, wink. Uh, help us pay our artists, please. 
Oh, Thara, what are you thinking about doing next? Either in the horror genre or as a writer or as a writer trying to do gay stuff? Um, I mean, honestly, I currently have another piece I'm working on for your podcast for the nature episode. I don't want to say too much for fear of spoiling it, but basically look up Dr. Bront's Dream Cream. It is a very odd cosmetic that was pulled for having a very odd property. Well, you heard it here, folks. <laughs> yeah, the real horror is that it costs like $135 for two ounces of it, so... But like, in the modern day, or like, in olden times, meaning it's now worth, you know, $3 million or whatever the fuck. I mean, it came out in 2016, but I guess it would be difficult to track down for the reason that it was pulled, so you could probably sell it for a pretty penny. Alright, well, you know, while while the Monster Mob does research on that, <laughs> I think I'm just gonna say thank you, Thara, for talking to me about your piece about horror about gay ladies um <laughs> and about you know the intersections of race and orientation uh as they can be shown in genre fiction in this essay i will dot 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 thank um, you <laughs> <laughs> so thank you thara thank you so much for contributing to us um and of course if you monster mob uh want to Listen up to our next episode. It will be coming out in late May. That will be our Creatures episode. So get ready for some monsters. Get ready for some beasties. And, of course, if you want to help us pay our artists, please contribute to our Patreon. Thank you. And Monsters out!